0: This is Understanding Israel-Palestine. I'm your host, Eamon Ormseth. Today, we're joined by Robert Smith. First, some news briefs. On Tuesday, January 2nd, a drone strike in Beirut, widely attributed to the Israeli Army and Intelligence Services, killed Saleh El aruri Saleh El aruri was the deputy chief of Hamas's political bureau and one of the founders of the group's armed wing, the Qassam Brigades. Israel intensified its bombing in the southern Gaza Strip as the death toll in Gaza passed 22,000. Over 1 million people have been displaced as a result of the war, and hundreds of thousands are at risk of starvation and disease as conditions deteriorate in the besieged Strip. The Biden administration has approved a new... Emergency weapons sale worth $147.5 million to Israel, again bypassing Congress, despite growing international calls for a ceasefire and U.S. pressure on Israel to minimize civilian casualties in Gaza, according to USA Today. Robert O. Smith is Assistant Professor of History at the University of North Texas, specializing in religious history, indigenous studies, and critical race studies. Smith, an enrolled citizen of the Chickasaw Nation, is an ordained as a pastor in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. In addition to many academic articles, he is the author of More Desire Than Our Own Salvation, The Roots of Christian Zionism, and editor with Goran Gunner of Comprehending Christian Zionism, Perspectives in Comparison, and four book-length projects on critical race theory, co-researched and written with Asia Y. Martinez. Two of the CRT book projects are under contract with New York University Press and University of California Press, kicking off Cal University Press's new series on CRT. Smith and Martinez draw on mixed methods ranging from archival to ethnographic to literary and rhetorical analysis, reframing the histories of CRT's origins in legal studies while making provocative claims concerning CRT's storytelling, pedagogy, methodology, and theory. Welcome to the show, Professor Smith.
1: Thank you, Eamon. It's good to be here.
0: We first met in Palestine when I was living there. You were working at Tantor. Can you describe a little more about your experience living in Palestine?
1: Sure. Before even living there, I first visited in November of 2002, right in the middle of the Second Intifada. And uh, when I was a seminary student at Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota, after 9-11, I had been the only student on campus there at Luther to have completed the MA in Islamic Studies. And so when a spot came open for a Holy Land tour, I they came to the seminary and said, which student should do this? And, and the opportunity came to me. And so I wound up going to Israel and Palestine for the first time then, and visited Tantura for the first time during that visit. What I didn't know is that I would, this would become my central concern in my life uh, to be involved in the Israeli-Palestinian situation. We were trained by the International Solidarity Movement to engage in nonviolent direct action. We participated in Olive Harvest activities that November. Then after the first week of that, when we were doing you know, confrontations with the IDF as the, the separation barrier was being mapped out and built in that, that period, then the second week of our visit, we went on a Holy Land tour and walked where Jesus walked. And the, the disconnect was really profound. So after that, I did what, what the joke is, which is if you visit the Holy Land for two weeks, you write a book. If you stay for a month, you write an article. And if you live there for a year, you don't write anything because you don't know what to say. So, my first book was co-written with my tour leader after that first two-week visit, and you know, stayed right true with the book, and or with the joke. It didn't I, I got hired on by the ELCA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, to direct our, our work in the Middle East as missionary uh, supervision? So that was uh, in in two thousand seven. So between 2007 and 2014, I was based in Chicago, but traveling to the Middle East quite a bit. Uh, This is during a lot of developments. Uh, Lutheran Church has a lot of relationships in Jerusalem in particular because of the history of German colonialism there. Uh, But we also had relationships in Egypt, Lebanon, Jordan, and elsewhere. And then in 2014, I had the opportunity to move to Jerusalem. And I began teaching there with the University of Notre Dame, which operates its Jerusalem Global Gateway at Tantura Ecumenical Institute. Lived there for four years. So it's been a long career of engagement with, with the region.
0: Robert, you're an enrolled citizen of the Chickasaw Nation. How did that part of your identity influence your experience living in Palestine?
1: Well, it was, it was a profound part of my experience living and working in Palestine. So the Chickasaw Nation is one of the, the five so-called civilized tribes that were ethnically cleansed out of the southeastern United States following the Indian Removal Act of 1830. And so along with the Cherokee, Muscogee, Seminole, and, and Choctaw, um, which I know I'm missing one other, <laughs> but we, we walked the Trail of Tears uh, from the southeast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we walked the Trail of Tears from the southeast. Uh, our homelands were in, in northern Mississippi, western Tennessee, uh, into Indian Territory, what is now the state of Oklahoma. And so that experience of ethnic cleansing, that experience of settler coloniality, was something I grew up with in Oklahoma. I was conscious of my Chickasaw identity. But it wasn't until I started funding academic conferences at uh, Dar al College with Mitri Rahab. Uh, the wonderful academic organizing he does in that space. I put a little bit of my ELCA budget under my control toward those conferences. And so then I had opportunities to produce academic work that tied Native American and Palestinian experience together from a theological, historical, and ethical framework. And so it was really my experience of seeing the living history of settler coloniality and ethnic cleansing in Palestine that reconnected me with a a conscious understanding of my Chickasaw identity and those experiences of our people. Uh, So now living in Northern Texas, so close to the Chickasaw reservation, uh, I continue to deepen my ties uh, with with the Chickasaw Nation leadership and and, uh, people, and just being in the land uh, with the people. And so all of that for me
0: is tied together uh, in, in this broad umbrella of settler colonial reality. You are a Chickasaw citizen, a Lutheran theologian, a uh, peace activist for Palestine, and a scholar of Christian Zionism. Can you, first of all, for our audience, define Christian Zionism in a few minutes? I know that's a terrible thing to ask a professor. And we'll unpack it a bit, so don't worry. <laughs> you know,
1: I, actually, part of... Part of my work as a scholar of Christian Zionism has been to provide a working definition of the movement, Uh, because I I think before we can really talk about something and diagnose it properly, we have to define it properly. Uh, You can't treat an illness until you have a clear description of what's going on, right? And so the, I define Christian Zionism as political action informed by specifically Christian commitments to promote or preserve Jewish control over the geographic area now comprising Israel and Palestine. The importance of the specific of that definition, and that, that was the definition that kind of led the... American Academy of Religion seminar on Christian Zionism for six years. That definition emphasizes that Christian Zionism is political action. It's not a set of commitments or beliefs. It it is when those when a set of beliefs, whatever they happen to be, get translated into political action to promote by Christians to to promote Jewish control over that land, and that can come from a conservative standpoint uh, that. If you, for instance, are a rapture theologian, you are a premillennial dispensationalist who wants to see Jesus come in glory on the clouds and that sort of thing, you might be a Christian Zionist if Jews kind of play into that system of belief, if you're Hal Lindsey or uh, the left-behind sort of thinker. But also, if you're a liberal Christian who, in a post-Holocaust world, believes that Jews need to control that land because of Christian responsibility for anti-Jewish teaching and anti-Semitism culminating in the Holocaust. you also might be a Christian Zionist according to that definition and so it covers both aspects and and that utility of the definition I think has been very helpful for analysis
0: So I will say as someone who studied history as an undergrad that I think you're making a very important, Historiographical intervention in defining liberal Christian support for, as you said, Jewish control over historic Palestine as Christian Zionism, as well. And I wanted to re- reiterate that because of the wall to wall support we're seeing for Israel's campaign in Gaza right now in the Democratic Party. I mean, there are some representatives that have in- introduced some resolutions, but within the halls of power, I think it's reasonable to say the Democratic Party is it. Christian Zionist party. Would you say that's an accurate accurate statement?
1: Um, maybe not necessarily Christian Zionist, but definitely Zionist. I mean, President Biden has been very open about identifying himself as a Zionist and his own uh, Irish Catholicism would play into that definition, I'm sure. And so it's not just Right wingers that we're talking about here—it's not just in this day Trump supporters. In fact, Trump supporters these days have a tendency to be more isolationist, right, and less interventionist internationally against the so-called globalists, as Steve Bannon might call them. That right wing discourse has more explicit anti-Semitism woven into it, but but of course, Christian Zionism has, throughout its entire history, back to the 1600s, coexisted nicely with anti-Semitism. Uh, because it's all about Christian constructions of Jews for Christian purposes. That sort of instrumentalizing of Jewish existence on behalf of Christian purposes is really the the crux of the movement. And uh, frankly, yeah, is on all portions of the U.S. political spectrum.
0: So would you say that liberal Christian Zionism in the United States is also instrumentalizing Jews for political purposes, perhaps U.S. foreign policy in this case in the Middle East? Most definitely. I, uh,
1: my, my sense is if we, so I'm going to step back as an historian just a little bit to uh, reiterate that what I said, that Christian Zionism can be traced back to the mid 1600s. It emerges out of a context of anti-Catholic and anti-Islamic Protestant thought, and especially in England. Uh, that constructs Jews as mythological allies against those perceived enemies. And so that same apocalyptic imagination is is located at the foundation of American identity. So all that theology got carried over by the Puritans, uh, who were the, the settlers in New England, right? And so the idea of America itself is infused with these Christian Zionist, Judeo-centric ideas. The result of all of that especially over the past centuries of American development is that Jerusalem becomes an apocalyptic playground. It's merely a space for realizing Christian fantasies. So there's no real concern for the actual lives of real Israelis or Palestinians, Jews, Christians, Muslims. It's just a, a space of symbolic existence. So at that point, Jerusalem becomes a space of touristic entertainment more than anything else. That's related to it being a site of U.S. imperial purposes, where the United States exercises its prerogatives in the world. All of the exceptional violations of international law that the United States allows the state of Israel to engage in. You know, for Americans who are trained to be consumers of the world, where everything else exists to serve and entertain us, no wonder we don't care about death tolls and war crimes in Afghanistan, Iraq, or Palestine, right? So, from a, I don't think the Democratic Party is at all separate from that American imperial approach to the rest of the world that exists to validate American projection of power. It's maybe distressing for a lot of people who have thought of themselves as nice liberals to realize that, no, this project, this Ongoing genocide is being perpetrated in your name by your party, and and yeah, being allowed to exist, and it's not inconsistent with the broad sweep of U.S. policy.
0: Having discussed a liberal Democratic Party support for for Israel, I did want to return to a comment you just made about I think John Hagee, mm. founder of Christians United for Israel. He is. One of the most well-known Christian Zionists in America, I'll let you assess this statement, but many would argue he his theology is anti-Semitic, and he spoke at the March for Israel rally on November 14th. What does this alliance of right-wing, again, some would argue anti-Semitic forces and pro-Israel political forces in the United States tell us about this theology?
1: So John Hagee's appearance at this uh, rally, this pro-Israel rally in Washington D.C., was something that many people in, in U.S. media picked up on. It was it was something emphasized in social media. But he was also present at the he delivered the benediction at the opening of the U.S. embassy in Jerusalem five years ago.
0: As, yeah, I was I was living in Palestine when when he did right? that. So I definitely remember that.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So was I. Amen. We were there at the same time. And that he's been in this presence uh, for a quite a long time. Kufi or Kufi, however you pronounce it, Christians United for Israel, is his organization that was founded as kind of the Christian clearinghouse for political support for the state of Israel, the 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 new standard bearer of Christian Zionism. The way that organization was first founded was that they had to go around to Jewish leadership, including leadership in the State of Israel, promising to not be a space of proselytizing Jews, trying to convert Jews to Christianity. And once that was accepted as kind of the the cost of entry, Jewish organizations, including the Anti-Defamation League and others, allowed Kufi to exist. Uh, So that was kind of the formula. Don't try to convert us. Yes, we'll accept your your pro-Israel work. Well, as soon as this, uh, as soon as Hagee came on the national scene in two thousand six, the uh, Catholic organizations came out against him because he was rabidly anti-Catholic. Uh, Muslims, of course, know that he's rabidly Islamophobic, and then some Jews are like, "Wait, this guy's also anti-Semitic." But the, he, in that and all of that, he was embodying the heritage of Christian Zionism. My my book actually opens with all of those things happening. That this convergence in his ideology makes a lot of sense, but it also makes a lot of sense, especially from a right wing political standpoint. That uh, yes, this person is around and is going to remain a feature of American Christian Zionism. As long as he keeps a non-proselytizing form of Christian Zionism at the forefront of US politics. There's a really fascinating photograph of John Hagee sitting on a couch next to Ellie Wiesel, uh, the famous uh, survivor of the Holocaust and, and humanitarian, right? And so this, um, this image of Hagee as someone who loves Jews, but again, loves Jews symbolically, loves Jews for Christian purposes, which is, of course, not compatible with Zionism whatsoever.
0: So I want to stay on the topic of theology, Mm -hmm. but I want to shift our frame a little bit and discuss uh, what I think is probably the most hard-hitting critique of Christian Zionism, which comes from a Palestinian Christian lens. Someone you just mentioned mentioned, I think Reverend Dr. Mitri Rahib, another one, Reverend Dr. Munder Mm -hmm. Isaac just gave very powerful sermon in Christian Lutheran Church in Bethlehem, a church I used to attend on occasion. Can you, can you lay out a little bit the Palestinian Christian indigenous critique of Christian Zionism?
1: So I think there, there are two layers. one is very specifically Palestinian, uh, where Palestinian Christians see these Christians coming from other parts of the world and invalidating not just their presence in the land, but their very existence. And so that's, of course, deeply hurtful. Uh, When somebody has a theological system that eliminates the possibility of your life, uh, we we need to be conscious of that. Now, if that's aligned with a, a military policy that also doesn't care if you continue to exist. That's a very dangerous situation to be in. So that's where, especially Munther Issach has been very clear uh, from from his uh, post in, in Bethlehem of making that articulation. Munther is an extremely gifted academic thinker and theologian historian, in addition to being a, a wonderful pastor in that community. And he of course was preceded in that role by Pastor Mitri. They together, they have been at the forefront of challenging Western ideas of Christian of Christian Zionism in all their forms. The other piece of that is a broader analysis, and this is especially where Bishr Rahab is is shining now, in challenging the global phenomenon of European settler colonialism, and and that broader social analysis and, and historical analysis has to be understood as essential also for the theological reflection. These are not separate things because settler colonialism is itself an expression of theology. And I, I think that when we go to that level, we recognize in the global phenomena, phenomenon of settler colonialism, that Palestinians are living on the underside of a European settler colonial process, no different than Native American communities and many other communities in throughout the Americas living under the same process of erasure. And so Christian Zionism is, in many ways, the theology that supports that historical process. And, and I, I don't think the two can be fully separated. And together, uh, Assis Munther and Assis Mitri are, are really uh, addressing these, these points comprehensively.
0: I also wanted to speak to you as a Christian, as someone who saw you give a very moving service on Easter morning on the Mount of Olives, Hmm. you as a Lutheran pastor, and also as an indigenous person, and the obvious more than tension between Christianity, Western Christianity, and indigenous peoples in the United States. wanted to understand a little bit better about how you see Jesus and the early Christian movement. I know some Palestinian Christian theologians have argued it was an anti-imperial movement. How, How do you see this part of your identity in relationship with your indigenous identity.
1: Uh, well that that's a, a many hours of conversation <laughs> uh, <laughs> to get into that. <laughs> you know, Frank, to be very very transparent with you, it is an ongoing process of negotiation. To be both indigenous and Christian is is similar to to ne- negotiating blackness in Christianity, right? It it is uh, when 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 people have Harmed your people under the banner of a religious system, and then you identify with that religious system. There's there's a necessary dissonance there that that demands interrogation. And so, my life, I think, is one of interrogating that dissonance and seeking to not not reconcile and and not um, not silence the, that dissonance, but to live within it. So, frankly, my my Chickasaw identity and my Christianity are uneasy companions, but also in my my approach to Jewish-Christian-Muslim relations, I'm very committed to Palestinian liberation, but I'm also at the same time committed to Christian historical responsibility in, in relation to Jewish existence, that we must be conscious of, post uh, in a post-Holocaust world, we must be conscious of Christian anti-Jewish thought and anti-Semitism that have deeply harmed Jewish existence for millennia. And so we we don't choose one over the other. Uh, we hold both in a very uncomfortable tension and that's our responsibility. And so in the same way, my dissonance is, is real in my own identities and personal life. Um, my dissonance is real in other parts of my life as well to say that, yes, I recognize uh, there That Zionism itself was a political reality that that emerged out of European Christian mistreatment of Jews. And that does not justify all that has happened to Palestinians in the decades since. So that these things must be held together if we're going to be truly responsive to history.
0: Yeah, this dissonance you speak of, I think it's hard to not read the gospel and see. I think Jesus calling people into that dissonance, actually, into being in that dissonance and to not attempting to reconcile it completely or just accepting that you can't always reconcile it completely, that maybe that's God's work uh, in our lives. Maybe yeah. I wanted to turn towards the U.S. political scene and speak a little bit more about um, Indigenous Native American Turtle Island solidarity with Palestinians. I'm from Montana and we have some of this work going on. I'm inspired by it. It's challenging at times, I think, for what we've heard, is indigenous folks seeing all these people get fired up about something 2,000 miles away while indigenous erasure is continuing in the quote unquote United States.
1: Right. You know, I, I really appreciate that you're bringing these points together. And, and again, I'll, I'll reiterate the importance of understanding the specificity of settler colonialism as a global phenomenon. And it's distinct from a forms of coloniality in which the settler comes to extract resources out of a place because settler colonialism means the settler comes to stay. And in that staying, they necessarily replace the, the preexisting native population, displacing it from its land base. And as a result, it's inherently genocidal. So when we hear genocide in relation to Israeli-Palestinian context, it's the same genocide that, that is, has been experienced in North America and throughout this hemisphere and Turtle Island. So it's something that Native American tribal nations, including Chickasaws, know well right it, and so we of course we have solidarity that comes from from that perspective and we see our own experience reflected in what happened to palestinians who experienced displacement by zionist immigration to palestine a process that culminated in the nakba and this which is the source of refugee population in gaza And so those of us with a consciousness of living on the underside of colonialism in whatever form recognize our common predicament. My sense though, is that so many Native Americans like many other groups in the Americas are struggling with devastating domestic realities. And that makes any gesture of of international solidarity very difficult. As much as I think it's necessary, right, to fully understand the challenge we we face on a common basis, the fact that we're seeing Native solidarity come up since the movement for Black Lives, as we saw Natives in uh, responding to that, we see Water Protectors as well in the Dakotas, and now uh, and Palestinian solidarity expressed there, and now that that reciprocation of of Native American solidarity back to Palestine, especially in the situation in, in Gaza. I, I think that it's actually, given our domestic realities and everything that draws us to focus only on our own situation alone, the fact that we see so much international solidarity is hopeful, that we are engaging in transnational, trans-Indigenous analysis and response. And so I'm drawing a lot of, it, a lot of energy from that and, and think that is the future.
0: Yeah, you mentioned that you were involved with the international solidarity movement. And I think that framework seems to be continuing and even expanding. I think solidarity-based framework provides opportunities for folks from all different backgrounds to to step up and, you know, get involved. Well, our time's just about up. Professor Smith, I want to thank you again for your time today. Robert Smith is the author of More Desire Than Our Own Salvation, The Roots of Christian Zionism, and a prolific scholar and peace activist. Thank you. Thank you so much.